How's everyone this morning? I told a uh, story at the early service, and really it was just to uh, get everybody kind of awake. I know the dogs played a little late last night, so I was going to try to wake everybody up, but it's got a little more importance now. There's a, quite a few of you in here this morning. <laughs> but it's a story about me uh, being very uncomfortable at public speaking. And uh, how basically God can use anyone. My senior year in high school, we made it to the football state championship. Well, our high school team hadn't made it to the state championship since like 1950s. Well, the whole town and community, you know, was really supporting us. One way they support us was the Gamecock Club. It was like local businessmen and women and boosters. They would provide lunch at the townhouse for us. And we'd go out like every Friday for game day for lunch, have the high school football coach out and, uh, and some of the players. Well, the townhouse wasn't like your ordinary restaurant. It was really good. At one point, it was a pie factory. They delivered pies up and down uh, 301. I was really familiar with the townhouse because me and my buddies would go there the summer before football season. Um, we would get into that stuff, you know, that's legal in some states, that semi-legal stuff. <laughs> well, to give the college crowd a reference, um, Insomnia cookies had nothing on the townhouse. <laughs> they had pies, cinnamon rolls. You could go in there and it would knock the munchies slam out. In fact, you wouldn't have munchies for several weeks. <laughs> Me and uh, two buddies went in there one, one day, had lunch. Uh, one smiling down on me from heaven now and one's here somewhere, but uh, in here today. <laughs> but uh, we had lunch, waitress come up, she was like, what kind of pie? Chocolate, lemon meringue, coconut. She came back with three pieces of pie. We was like, no man, we want three whole pies. <laughs> we, we left, three teenage boys left the townhouse with three whole half-eaten pies. <laughs> no one knew we was up to no good, you know, nah. But just as I desired those pies back in the day, I want you to notice how the desires of my life like had a direct impact on my life, like a physical impact. When I desire more Christian things, my life prospered. And when I desire more worldly things, my life took more of a destructive path. I had an amazing childhood. Honestly, really had an amazing childhood. I grew up in Screaming County, and I loved the outdoors, loved sports. Football was definitely my favorite. Uh, Screaming County's outdoors was paradise. Um, at the north end of the county, you have the Savannah River. South end of the county, you have Geechee, and Briar Creek th flows through as well. I spent a lot of time in all three. 
the Savannah River was definitely my favorite. You could do it all there. Hunt, fish, tube, water ski. I love water skiing. I think I could ski on one before I could ski on two. Just really loved the Savannah River. It was, in fact, my favorite place I've ever been. And it's part of me. I really love the Savannah River. My dad made sure that we was there every Sunday after church. Occasionally, we would talk mom into letting us skip truck church, but rarely. And I attribute my wonderful childhood to my parents raising me in Christian home, particularly my mother. She read me Bible stories from birth. My favorite was old Samson. You know, he killed wild animals with his bare hands and tore down temples. He was fascinating to a kid. Well, my mother said I started asking about Jesus very early on, like at the age of four, I would, you know, who is Jesus? How can you accept him into your heart? And, and just had a lot of questions early on. I guess a, a four-year-old can be saved. Maybe I was at four, but I actually publicly confessed to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the fifth grade. So very early on, you know, the word was being poured into me, and I desired it. I mean, I was curious about it, and it was having a direct impact on my life. About the seventh grade or so, kind of when you start, you know, to become a man, so to speak, I started desiring more worldly things. Alcohol was one of them. I can remember my first drink. I grew up in a shop. Like modern day man cave, except this shop was the community man cave. There was usually one or two people working and half a dozen and they're standing around drinking and telling jokes and starting trouble. Well, me and a cousin went out Behind the shop, there was a tractor shed and there was a refrigerator there always full of beer. Well, we took a couple beers and went out to our uh, childhood hangout, the graveyard. It literally was a graveyard in the middle of some, a cow pasture and we had ropes tied in trees where we swung like Tarzan and we shot our guns there, just spent a lot of time there. Well. I drank my beer, and my cousin drank half of his, and he was like, this is nasty. I was like, well, can I have the rest of yours? <laughs> you know, from my first drink, you know, I knew I liked it. I had a desire for it. And if you have a desire for anything, good or bad, you have it for life. You just have to, um, you know, manage it. Well, I mean, it's hard for a middle schooler to have too much problem with drinking, you know. But as I got into high school, started showing up pretty early issues with drinking. I was 15, one of my good friends at the time, he turned 16 and we went out for the first time. Well, 
come home drunk. So first trip out, it wasn't looking good. Well, at 16, when I got my license, me and a buddy, we was out and didn't make it in on time. So a mother called the sheriff and he found us. We had been drinking. He took us in and showed me jail cell he was going to put me in and looked like some hardened criminals in there, buddy. They looked like they'd been there for a while. He scared me a little bit, took me in his office. He was like, boy, give me your license. It's like, yes, sir. He threw them in his top drawer and he said, you make some good grades and come back and I'll think about giving your license back. It's like, yes, sir. So parents, if you have any issue with your kids in school, you might want to call the sheriff. Get them grades tightened up. But I did get a DUI in uh, my senior year. We left the sports banquet and come over to Statesboro. Back then, there was actually a dance club here at Southern. So we had a good time, left, got pulled over, and had been drinking, and got the DUI. Well, probably the only thing that kept me out of a lot of trouble in high school was football. Probably how I actually graduated. Had a real good Christian head football coach, Coach Chuck Conley. He coached under Eric Russell and was just a real intense coach. Uh, took over our program our, my freshman year. We made it the state championship my senior year. So we, we built a program pretty quick. The senior, my senior year in high school there, we made it to the state championship. And back then, you didn't play at the Georgia Dome or the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you, they flip-flop home field advantage from northern to southern zone. Well, it was southern zone year for our home field advantage. So we played the state championship right there in Scriven County. And like, it was stadium might hold four or 5,000. They packed 10,000 people in there that year because we played Washington County and they were ranked number one, we were ranked number two in the state. And Art Russell was actually there that night. I run right by him going on the field, you know, to get in the, go behind the banner and run onto the field. He wasn't the only legend there that night, a kid named Takeo Spikes come to town. He was a stud of an athlete. He benched like 400 in high school, squatted six, just really good athlete. Went on to Auburn to uh, start as a freshman at linebacker. I think his junior year, he went on to NFL. He was ranked one or two in the NFL was, um, at the height of his career. But he was a man, and he manhandled me that night for certain. He, he never come off the field. And needless to say, they remained number one, and we remained number two after the game was over. But uh, that was really 
school experience of high school. Well, I graduated and, you know, just enjoying the summer. Honestly, had no idea what I wanted to do. Everybody wanted me to go to college. I knew I was going to go waste a lot of money. And so I was thinking about the military, just couldn't figure it out. But one thing I was doing definitely was feeding those worldly desires. Um, you know, alcohol, sexual immorality, that semi-legal stuff. You know, I was feeding those temporary desires just as often as I could. And uh, it started catching up with me. Left the river one, one Sunday and flipped my truck. I had a little Ranger four-wheel drive with wheels and tires and flipped it. It didn't hurt me or the girl that was with me at the time, but I totaled the truck. Well, me and my buddies had a big time plan for the fourth. Um, my friend had a, uh, his family had a cabin down on the mouth of Briar Creek. So we went down and had a big time the night before the fourth. Stayed up drinking and playing cards and just, you know, partying. Got up the next morning, you know, and your head's hurting. You're kind of looking around, wondering where you're at. Well, went down to the river, and right where the uh, Briar Creek flows in the Savannah River, there's some high embankments, and we run and jumped off and jumped in the water. That river water is always freezing cold, so it's a real good hangover remedy, you know. Well, we continued jumping and all morning and started uh, drinking early as well. Well, about lunch, last time I jumped off the embankment, I more or less stumbled off, went head first, and if you didn't run hard and jump out, you kind of went in shallow water. Well, went into shallow water and I hit the bottom, and instantly I knew um, it was pretty serious. I, my body went limp and kind of floated to the top. And luckily, one of my friends noticed I was struggling and pulled me to the bank called 911 and you know it took game wardens and paramedics just to rescue me took me to the boat landing and the ambulance took me to um, Savannah well two weeks after my exit my health declined very rapidly I went from you know a perfect health you know in fact, a couple small schools had looked at me for football, so I was in perfect physical health and went from that to dying. I developed pneumonia, staph infection, had multiple bed sores. Several nights, the doctors come in and told my parents that um, I wouldn't make it through the night. And it was one of those nights that it was left up to me. It was left up to me to give up on life or, you know, to press on. 
I started just praying and asking God very difficult questions like, why do you want to live paralyzed? How do you leave and live paralyzed? You know, can you even enjoy life paralyzed? And overwhelm and peace come over me. A peace, honestly, every time I try to describe, I can. It's just peace so intense that, that I miss it. You know, I feel the Holy Spirit quite often, but in that moment, it was just, it was what I needed. I knew whether if I walked out of the hospital or left in a wheelchair, I could handle it. Um, the only way I've ever been able to describe it is um, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It was not a piece of this world. You know, days after, even years after, devil would kind of creep in my mind. It's like, what was, what was that moment? You know, was it real? Was it of this world? And I can tell you it wasn't Demerol or morphine or any of that. I had a nurse from hell, not the street slang. I mean, the devil himself. She, for some reason, she told my parents, like, I didn't need pain medication. Well, that I was paralyzed from the neck down and I couldn't feel anyway. Well, from the shoulders up, I feel perfectly fine, you know, normal. And I just had neck fusion surgery where they go in the front of your neck, move your esophagus over, put a bone out of your hip with some titanium screws and sew you all back up. You know, I can feel that perfectly fine. So it wasn't pain medication. But I can remember being so, in that moment, so alive, like friends and coaches and family would come in and pray for me. And one was my, mother, my grandmother, I can remember in, in particular, and she grabbed me by the hand. I couldn't feel it, but I could see her out of the corner of mine. She was praying for me, and I was like, God, just give her some of what I feel, you know. Just let her know I'm going to be okay. That It was just so, so overwhelming and so peaceful. Well, I was ready. I was ready for the fight, you know, whatever was next. My parents had heard about Shepherd's Spinal Center in Atlanta. They sent a nurse down and nurse evaluated my case and I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll take him. We, we, we need to get him there soon though. And the doctors in Savannah was like, he can't go. I'm surprised he made it through the night. How, how in the world do you think he's gonna make it to Atlanta? Well, my mother, she, uh, she said, get the paperwork ready, whatever I gotta sign, he's going and he's going now. And I went, and uh, they flew me to Atlanta. And we knew when we got there that that was where God wanted me to be. They aggressively started like weaning me off the ventilator because I had a breathing tube and one nostril and like a feeding tube and the other. One, one way they, procedure they do is uh, 
to put saline down your breathing tube, which is just salty water. But um, it feels like you're drowning, and then they suction it out. So it's a horrible experience, but I, it feels good afterwards. You can breathe really well. So I started asking for it, you know. Well, one, one day the respiratory therapist came in. He was like, all right, your oxygen levels are looking great. We're going to take the breathing tube out. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, they put me in the wheelchair, and I thought they were going to roll me down to operating room, you know, kind of put me under and remove it. He was like, okay, I need you to use your gag reflexes to not resist. I'm like, he's about to pull this out, you know. Well, he reached up and put his hand on my chest and grabbed it. And I'm not sure what it had taken root to, but it had a tap root on the end of it, buddy. <laughs> he pulled, and it was like, I didn't use the gag reflexes properly or something because it, it was rough. But started breathing on my own, you know, making some progress. Uh, got the feeding tube out and started eating. It, at first, it took like an hour to eat. And the, the hospital food, it would take a solid hour. Well, luckily, Buckhead, or Shepherds was in Buckhead in Atlanta. And they had some really good restaurants around there, so... It took me an hour to eat the hospital food and like 30 minutes to eat a steak from, you know, Houston's or somewhere around there. So, you know, I started progressing really well. Well, Shepherd's, it's a rehab facility, you know. Once you get stable, they start teaching you how to live in your condition because you have to go to, like, classes to learn your health. I'm one really awkward one. There was a, I'd met a girl on our senior cruise, had a, you know, fun weekend. Well, she come to see me, and I don't know who suggested it, but we went to sex therapy classes. Well, it was for, like, married couples, and, you know, they were really open and sharing stuff. You talk about awkward. I'm like, yeah, we're waiting until we get married. I appreciate the info, you know. I mean, it was awkward, you know. But they really, uh, you know, teach you how to live, you know, in our condition. Well, they try to get you in as many real-life situations as possible. We'd go to Braves games, out to eat, you know, and a lot of activities. Well, I was in the hallway looking out the outdoor activities list and it was like at the top basketball and couldn't do that the next one I couldn't do and I was man well at the bottom of the list there was a camp in Alabama and one of the activities was shooting rest for high level quad well, I, at the time I didn't even know what a quadriplegic was they told me I was a quadriplegic, so I'm like, sign me up for that, you know. Well, me and an uncle and one of my good buddies that I hunted a lot with, we went to the camp in Alabama. We camped out all right, slept on a bunk bed, bottom of a bunk, and didn't have a shower for a week. But we found that shooting rest. 
it was at the shooting range, leaned up in the corner with spider webs and an old 22 with no sights. I'm like, we come all the way to Alabama to shoot an old 22 with no sights. I mean, I'd graduated from a 22 in the second grade, you know. I'm like, and there was no one there even to help us use it. I don't even know if anyone there knew how to use it. So three old country boys, you know, like, we come all this way, we're going to make this shoot some way or another. Well, put it on the table and put a target out there, and I looked down the barrel with no sights and hit the target. Like, hmm. They put a little further and hit it again. Well, my uncle was drinking a Coke, and he's like, let's see how bad you are. He runs to the back of the shooting range and sets it up on a hill. They had kind of cut the shooting range out into the side of a hill and put it on it, hit it, first shot. I'm like, hmm, might be on to something. Well, we had a good experience at the uh, camp and went back to Shepherds, and you're normally there for, you know, several months. I was injured in 95. So I spent most of that fall at Shepherds. And then when I got home, I started living life, you know, pretty quick. Went, started at Georgia Southern over here uh, that spring semester, I think. We tried to build the shooting rest, but didn't quite pull it off. So we ordered one like I used in the camp in Alabama. And the following fall of 96, I got my first deer. Started getting where I, where I could deer hunt pretty good. Well, I never turkey hunted before my accident. Something I picked up after my accident. I was trying to find things that I could, you know, do. And using the mouth diaphragm turkey call, I was like, well, I can do that. And I actually learned how to use it in Miami, Florida, of all places. We were down there for a couple months at the Miami Project. They do like cutting edge research for spinal cord injuries. And we'd have to go by the airport every day. And you would sit in one place for 30 minutes. And for the other hour and a half you were in traffic, you moved five miles an hour. I mean, it was horrible. I didn't really like very much about Miami other than the fact that me and my grandfather, we would record me using the diaphragm call. He would play it back, and I finally got where I started resembling a turkey. Well, I got a turkey not too long after that when I got back home. But there was one problem with the shooting rest that we we ordered. I had a manual joystick I would use, and then I would have to go to a sip and puff like this to activate the trigger. Well, you can imagine, you know, whatever you're on target, deer, turkey, that split second of moving, you know, they can move. And I would miss pretty often. Well, I went to church at 
First Baptist in Sylvania and went to church with a man named Mr. Charlie Boswell. He owned comp and choke and kicks chokes to make shotgun chokes. Well, we were in the parking lot and he was like, bring that shooting rest up to the shop. Let's see what we can do with it. So I took it up there and we went over some things and he called me back in a few weeks. He said, come on, let's try it out. So I went back and Mr. Charlie said, we were going out beside the shop to shoot it, try it out. And he was like, Carrie, come out. And that was the first time that I met Carrie Terrell. Well, Mr. Charlie nailed it. He's a brilliant man and a great machinist, so whatever ideas he has, he can physically build it. And he nailed it the first time. What he built, then I used to this day. He was that good. Well, me and Mr. Ch or me and Carrie become friends instantly. Uh, we started hunting together, and at the time he lived in Stilson, or still does, and I lived in Scriven County. He would drive an hour to get me, an hour back, just to get there before daylight, because you know, we like to hear the turkeys gobble on the roost. Well, we've been hunting, you know, the last 18 years, and the last five or six, we started being pretty successful and, and went from hunting turkeys to killing a few turkeys and just having a big time. Well, we started noticing that it was a really cool experience for everyone because I start at 3.30 in the morning with uh, nursing assistants and it takes two or three guys usually to go with us just to pull off a hunt. It's a tremendous team effort. Well, when I would get a turkey or deer, there would be, like, everyone would be in tears, you know. It's just a very cool experience for everyone. And it was after one of those successful hunts, me and Carrie was just talking, just how can we share this, you know, this cool experience? How can we share this with others? So God laid it on us on our heart to start the KT team. I named it after Carrie because buddies call him KT. It's a nonprofit where we take uh, physically challenged like myself on outdoor activities. We we particularly like to hunt, so we do a lot of deer hunts, um, turkey hunts. Dove hunts, hog hunts, we're adding activities as God blesses the KT team. But for me, the KT team is also like my next step in faith. Uh, James 2.26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. From the moment I felt that peace in the hospital, and I was faithful, extremely faithful, and my faith has grown through the years. Never been bitter about my accident, 
and God just showered my life with, with blessings. I mean, I have a wonderful family that, that supports me and great friends. Carrie, in particular, takes me hunting. I do a lot of hunting, very active, live a, you know, full life for my condition. And because of that, I have a lot of joy and peace in my life. This is hard to believe, and I, I, sometimes I mean, I'm like, how can it even be real? But I have more joy and peace now in my life than I ever did at 18, and I was, you know, perfect health, physically do whatever I wanted to do. Um, you know, grew up in a small town, had a lot of friends, just had a wonderful life from the outside looking in. But I was trying to fulfill that void that only God, only God can. He, and I was trying to fill it with temporary desires, very unfulfilling. It makes sense in one scripture, um, John 15, 5, I am divine, ye are the branch. Whoever believeth in me and I in him shall bear much fruit. Apart from me, they shall bear nothing. Fruits of spirits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I may have missed one or two in there, but joy and peace is a uh, very evident in my life. And this goes my relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus sets a, he set a perfect example for us in every way. And for me, even set up like a physical example. At Christmas, after I watch, you know, Home Alone for like 10 times, I like to watch The Passion of the Christ because that movie is very graphic. It gives you a real, you can literally see the pain Jesus went through in the flesh. And by no means do I compare my physical adversity with what Christ went through, but how he handled physical adversity, I try to follow. At no point did Christ throw down the cross, crawl in a corner, feel sorry for himself, and give up. God had a plan for his life, and he fulfilled it because every ounce of his body was full of the Holy Spirit. He died so that each and every one of us can have hope and peace here on earth for eternity. It's because of Christ that we can have the strength to overcome any trials in our life, physical, emotional, spiritual. I know it's clear to me my purpose in life and it's for this very moment. This very moment's what my life's about. And as long as God gives me moments like this to share his word, I'll ride this weird chair just as long as he needs me to. 
because I know from my life's experiences that there's nothing that God's hope and peace will not help you overcome. You see, God has a plan for each and every one of you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God's plans flow through his son, Jesus Christ. Desire Jesus in your life and fulfill the plans he has for you. Each and every one of you deserve hope and prosperity in your life. Desire Jesus and fulfill those plans. If you feel a peace today that you've, you know, never felt, you've not listened to some polished off motivational speaker, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God. Find hope in that. Find strength in that. And when you leave here today, and life happens, and it will, worst thing that happened to me was lost the state championship up until my accident. Come back to this moment. Find strength in it. John's going to come out in just a minute, and if you would like to, you know, make your next step in faith, he can help you with that. And if you just want to do some good deeds and you feel like the KT team is an organization you would like to be involved in, we'll go over some of that as well. But desire Jesus in your life and go after those big plans he has for you. Thank you. Thank you for having me out. I told you all y'all were in for a treat today. Um, real quickly, we want to show you all a glimpse of what um, the KT team in action looks like. So y'all take a look at this video. Yeah. 
They have an absolute incredible time um, on each one of these um, different hunts. And so um, just as Jason mentioned, if this is something that maybe you feel like you'd love to get involved with this, um, this ministry, then um, he would love to get you plugged in with this. There's going to be a couple people over that Next Steps area uh, where you can um, find out a little bit more information. You can also go to their website. It's thektteam.org. And they're also on Facebook, on Instagram. And so it's a great thing to just to, to stay up on and be able to follow up with. But um, it's an incredible ministry. Um, come along alongside people in similar situations and um, ultimately um, giving the hope, them the hope of Jesus. And you know, I, I think that that's the thing I think about with everything you're saying is, um, man, the hunting stuff's great, but um, as y'all heard today, um, his heart for you um, beyond anything else is that you'll come to know Jesus.